0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another JavaScript Jabber this week on our panel. Well, it's me, Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And we have a special guest this week, and that's Evan Hahn. Evan, do you want to say hi?
1: Hi, uh, my name is Evan Hahn. Yeah, I'm a developer. I work on, I think I'm being interviewed for uh, stuff about Helmet JS.
0: Yep. Yep, it looks like a cool project. Yeah, and I don't know where everybody else is. Apparently, everybody's gone, including me. I'm at NGConf. So if you're a, uh, uh, you know... An Angular type, then you've heard of NgComp probably, and uh, yeah. So I'm here interviewing speakers, and Evan is doing whatever Evan does every day. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just give a, a brief introduction as far as like who you are, who who you work for, that kind of stuff, so people can get a feel for who you are?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so this is my second day uh, at a new job at a company called Airtable, and they do uh, they build a spreadsheet application that um, you can. The, the, it's powerful enough that you can like make little applications with. And, um, and so I think that stuff is kind of cool. I'm happy to talk more about that. But yeah, the, today's only my second day. So I'm not really too well versed in, in all the process and stuff like that. And then prior to that, uh, I spent three years at a company called Braintree, which is uh, owned by PayPal. Um, and they do payment processing for companies mm-hmm. like Airbnb and Dropbox and GitHub. Um, and that pitch I can do a little bit better than the Airtable pitch. I think.
0: <laughs> Yeah, um, they're a little well better known to uh, the Braintree folks.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I've I've been doing JavaScript for many many years. Uh, I don't <laughs> I've lost count, but yeah, I, I took over Helmet from Adam Baldwin, a, a prior guest on this show a few years ago, and then uh, yeah, I've been maintaining it ever since.
0: Sounds good. So, do you want to give us just the five five second elevator pitch on Helmet JS and what it's for, what it does?
1: Yeah, sure. So if you're building a web application with Node, you're probably using Express. And that's not the only choice, but that's a very common choice. Um, and, uh, if you're building a web application, um, I think that you should pay some attention to security. I think, um, I could hammer the nail in about, you know, breaches and hacking and all that stuff. But yeah, that's, that stuff is important, but that stuff is often kind of tricky to implement. So, you know, it takes a long time, you have to have a deep understanding of how things work, um, that sort of stuff. And I don't think that there's a way around some of that stuff. But there are certain really quick wins that you can get on an Express application that are very, very quick to do. And you don't really have to understand them. And they're never going to cause a problem, just like you should just kind of do them. Um, And that's where Helmet comes in. So it's, um, it is a middleware uh, for Express applications that aims to be really really quick to use and you don't really have to understand what it's doing other than the fact that it uh, offers you some basic security benefits. I right. want to stress that it's not a it's not you use helmet and your app is secure. It's it's more defense in depth sort of stuff. So it gives you some quick wins but it doesn't make your application secure. I I don't ever want to say that. Um Oh, come on. I was looking for the silver bullet. <laughs> yeah, I think in the readme I wrote it's not a silver bullet. Yeah. So, unfortunately, It's not a silver bullet, but hopefully it can be helpful.
0: Cool. Well, you know, you talk about security, and then you mentioned that it's a middleware for Express. So I kind of grew up as a Ruby on Rails developer, and we have a system that does security checks for your code called Breakman, but it does it through static analysis. So why would you use the approach of doing middleware as opposed to, you know, something like static analysis where it says, hey, these are some common security issues in Express.
1: Don't do these. Mm-hmm. Yeah so um i think that uh, again like helmet is not the only solution so um i think static just the cannot, best one right it's definitely it's just 100% the best <laughs> uh, there we go yeah but uh it's it's useful for uh setting http headers and um if if to if you don't know what that is um every time you ever make an http request loading an image or a web page or a piece of javascript or whatever there's the actual you know HTML content or the JavaScript content or the JPEG bytes or whatever, but then there's also metadata that goes along with that request, and um, that metadata can be whatever. It's it's a key value thing. So mm-hmm. um, I think the most commonly known HTTP header that I can think of is the user agent header. Your yep. browser sends that header and it says, "Hey, I'm Firefox one point two point three, or whatever." Um, hopefully, you're not using that older version of Firefox, but um, that's the idea. And um, and certain headers if browsers see them um, in the response, they act differently, um, and they'll they'll often do good things. So um, for example, there is uh, one that prevents certain kinds of uh, cross-site scripting attacks, um, or it, it helps to prevent those. Um, and without getting into what a cross-site scripting attack is, it's just something bad that you don't want to happen to your site. Um, and there are certain HTTP headers that can help um, basically tell browsers, hey, like, don't, don't let some of these kinds of attacks happen.
0: Right. Those are usually centered around the refer domain or things like that, right? For the Uh, cross-site scripting?
1: So, so a lot of these cross-site scripting attacks kind of are basically like, running JavaScript on your page that you do not want to write on your page. Um, and so sometimes, yeah, you can do weird stuff with referrer stuff, um, and then there's lots of other <laughs> dangerous things you can do with cross-site scripting attacks.
0: Yep. So uh, that's interesting. Did you build Helmet, or are you just the current maintainer?
1: Um, a little of both. Um, it was built originally by Adam Baldwin, um, and mm. uh, he's a, a security guy in the node space. Actually, I think his company uh, just got acquired by NPM. Um so uh congrats congrats to him. Um and uh he didn't want to maintain helmet anymore and I had issued a number of pull requests to it. Um and so uh then I he basically transferred ownership to me and now I run the run the project and I've been running it for a few years. Um I he wrote the original core of it and uh, I added a bunch of stuff to it. Um so uh I think most of the lines of code of were are now written by written by me. Um but uh he definitely like started the project
0: very cool. Yeah and it's a lot of work maintaining a project. So I think everybody who uses it or benefits from it on a website that they use are probably grateful you put that time in.
1: Well I, I hope it's I hope it's useful. Um I, it has enough downloads that I feel like some people are at least downloading it um, and hopefully using it. So uh, hopefully it's helpful.
0: Yep. So uh, I'm a little bit curious. So you set it up as middleware. What what kinds of things are you looking for then? You're just looking for HTTP headers or is there more to it?
1: So um, Helmet doesn't... Uh, it, it. All it does is set outbound HTTP headers. Response headers, um, so um, there, there's a slight aster- asterisk to what I just said, but um, for the most part, um, they it sets like uh, security-related headers. Um, one of them, for example, um, is called IE no open, um, and there's a header called X download options X mm-hmm. download options, um, and it has one value no open um and it's not a super common attack um but uh some old versions of internet explorer will act differently if trying to download an html file it's kind of an obscure attack but the way you prevent it is by adding this outbound header and then old versions of internet explorer will see this and say oh like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try to do anything weird with this HTML, mm-hmm. um, and does like the normal write secure thing. Um, and you know, it, it's trivial to add this header and you just right. include helmet and you get it. Um, and in other web frameworks and in other, uh, you know, similar modules, um, it's trivial to add as well. And it's a trivial thing to write yourself. Like, I don't want to pretend like helmet is some beautiful masterpiece. Um, but more like, it's just an understanding of which HTTP headers you should probably be setting. Um, that's the novel part. Um,
0: yeah, but the thing is, is you're talking about this one instance and what I find is, you know what? There are a whole bunch of these known issues out there. And so if Helmet handles, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 of them, right? Or, you know, even 20 of them that I don't have to think about. All I have to do is install an NPM package. That's really helpful. Even if I could go right. 20 middlewares to handle each one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, again, I want to stress that like if you use Helmet, your app isn't secure, but um, it does prevent certain kinds of attacks that are less obscure. Than, it at least helps prevent some kinds of attacks that are less obscure than this weird old Internet Explorer one. Um, right. So, yeah. So,
0: I mean, is, is it as simple as just setting up the middleware and it just inspects the outgoing... Um, HTTP headers on every request, or does it only do it on some of them? And yeah, does it just look at it and say, that's a bad header, don't do that?
1: Um, so it, it actually, it it doesn't look at anything. It doesn't check if your code is secure, that there are other helpful tools to do that, like um, the Ruby one you mentioned. But um, mm-hmm. the uh, what it does basically is for every response that Helmet is going to respond to, which um, the way it's documented is mm-hmm. every response, although Express lets you configure that. Um, But for every response,
0: for certain responses, right, exactly.
1: Um, And so, for everything that Helmet is going to respond to, it will just basically blindly set these HTTP headers. Um, Some of them are really, really simple. It's just like always set this header always this way. Some of them are a little more complicated, like set it this way if the browser looks like this, or um, or you know, certain options are configurable. So um, some of them are not. Some of them are like there's only one thing you're ever going to set it to. And it's just going to make your life easier. Some of them are things like um, there's a thing called HTTP strict transport security where basically you say, and, and I'm going to be a bit hand-wavy here, but basically you say, hey, you always want to be visiting the HTTPS secure version of this site, never the HTTP insecure version of this site. Um, so like, don't ever come back to the HTTP version of this site for 30 days or whatever you want to say. Um and that that once you configure that number, helmet will set that basically unconditionally, but you have to configure like how long you want it to um how long you want it to set that header for um again, I'm being a little hand wavy, and we can go into more specifics about that, but um that's the idea. does that answer your question?
0: yeah, it does so it just it just sets these headers to sort of the default or you know if if there's some conditional something or other to worry about with it, you know it'll do that but are there instances where you wouldn't want to use Helmet?
1: Yeah, so I mean, Helmet is, um, it's a collection of 12 smaller middleware functions. Um, so Helmet itself, the actual Helmet package, basically just calls out to these 12 other packages. Mm-hmm. And there's it's a little more complicated than that, but it's basically that. Um, and then uh, each of those packages is responsible for basically one HTTP header. Um, again, like some of the specific ones Manage multiple ones, or it's configurable out which one you want to set. Um, but basically, each one corresponds to one, um, and then um, some of them are in like the default. So if you do the one-liner app use helmet, you say I want to use helmet in my Express app. It picks um, it picks some default ones and has them on the default options, um, which I think are generally good um, for most people. Um, and then omits some where either you need to configure them, like it is useless to, like, the, I couldn't guess what default you might have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or um, it omits ones where, you know, it might not be super useful. So there's one that I think is particularly, like, probably the one I would remove, if I were going to remove any of them, um, it just completely disables caching. And that has a performance implication, right? You, mm-hmm. you often want to cache stuff. Um, but for security, there are certain things that you might say, like, well, I just want to make sure that people always have an up-to-date version of this thing, mm-hmm. um, etc. Um, and so the no-cache middleware will basically eliminate all caching headers, um, which the browser would would respect and um, cache responses for. So uh, like you probably wouldn't want to include that by default, but it might be useful for, for certain cases. Um, and then there are other more complex ones, like um, content security policy, which basically is a whitelist of things that are allowed on your page so you say like i'm only allowed to load javascript from this domain and this domain and then if somebody tries to evilly load javascript from some evil.com domain that isn't in the whitelist and it gets blocked um but i couldn't possibly um i couldn't possibly guess what your website you know what your website looks like right Um, and so those aren't included by default
0: that makes sense you said that some of them are conditional is that just in some config file?
1: Well actually what do you mean by conditional like some are some are not always included or or what? Yeah
0: some are you know they only work on certain endpoints or you know mm-hmm. some of them only load under certain circumstances um mm-hmm. you, you it sounded like some were configurable too like the https thing where you know come after some it come back after so many days mm-hmm. but where do you set those configuration options?
1: So um there are i would say probably three ways to to do it um one is uh if you use the top level helmet module um you pass options as a, as an argument to the helmet function um mm-hmm. and those arguments are things like enable this one disable this one or enable this one um, and set these options um so you have you some
0: can, kind of setup script then
1: um yeah you would just have something where you used the middleware in your express app um so oh. wherever you're gonna you know whenever it's time to use helmet um you'll you'll uh set the options there um, if you want to set any gotcha yeah and then the other two ways are including the modules themselves so they are you know those twelve sub modules you could just npm install the specific ones you care about instead mm-hmm. of installing all of helmet um and also, if you install all of Helmet, um, you can do things like Helmet dot open to get that one header that we talked about a bit ago. Right, um, and that's very very similar to uh, just installing the ie no open package from npm and not the rest of Helmet.
0: Gotcha. So, what's the thing that's most nefarious that Helmet saves you from?
1: I think the biggest piece of code in Helmet is uh, the content security policy code. Um, content security policy is pretty complicated, it turns out, um, at least from, from my perspective. Um, so like the first one I talked about, the I, you know, open one that, that prevents that obscure Internet Explorer bug, there's one thing you can set it to, set it to that and this thing is fixed. Whereas content security policy uh, is, you're know, configuring that whitelist of things has a lot of hairy parts um one of them is if you introduce it on an existing site um you might miss stuff so you might say like oh i only want these three things in the whitelist." right but then somebody hits some obscure page on your app and the fourth thing should load and it's not an evil thing but content security policy will say hey this isn't allowed um and block it um and so getting that right in an existing app is is tricky and um One way to do that, and GitHub has a really good post about how to introduce content security policy in an existing app, but um, the the short of it is one big way to do it is um, content security policy has a report-only mode. So Mm -hmm. instead of blocking it, it will send a request to your server and say, like, hey, I would have blocked this if this were a real content security policy. Um, And um, a human probably has to look at that kind of log and see, like, oh, like, lots and lots of people would have blocked this thing that we would have introduced if we actually introduced a content security policy. Um, Let's make sure to add it to the whitelist because it's legitimate. Or you could also see stuff like, oh, wow, lots of our users are getting cross-site scripted from Mm evil.com. What's going on? And fix that problem also. Um, And then when when you're ready to do all that, you can introduce the real content security policy and hopefully uh, not break anybody.
0: That makes sense. I could see somebody installing it and something invisible like Google Analytics or something quit working.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. So like you would have if you have Google Analytics on your site, you have to put it in the content security whitelist. Otherwise, it it won't load.
0: When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that? Encrypted disks and VPNs. Plus they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and long view to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files And you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code JavaScriptJabber2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is JavaScriptJabber2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com slash careers to see their available positions. Yeah, I have this conversation as well with family members and friends who are looking for some way to filter the internet for their kids. And it's like, well, it just needs a more comprehensive blacklist, right? Because their kid finds some video online that has stuff they didn't want them to see. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, the most effective way is to whitelist stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then if there's, you know, they're trying to get to something that isn't in the whitelist, then you go and you okay it after you check it out. And mm-hmm. it's kind of the same approach here, right? Where, um, I mean, I I can go buy a domain for ten bucks a year. I can put some nasty code on it, and because it's not in your blacklist, it's not going to get caught. So the whitelist is definitely the way to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I found that to be true with just like not even in security, but like in API design. At at Braintree, we we did a lot of stuff where um, we had a version of the code that um, kind of was pretty flexible and had like lots and lots of different things you could do, and lots of different options. And um, and it's not a, it's not exactly a whitelist, but Restricting, having a more restrictive API made it a lot easier for us as maintainers of that API. um, Instead of trying to accept a lot of stuff or ignoring extra parameters or things like that, because people would would get it wrong and and um, not you know they'd they'd misspell something and there would be no error. Um, They would um, use some ancient feature that we didn't want them to use, um, or they would. Worst of all, they would you know throw something through that that caused a security vulnerability. And so um, I found that like having a whitelist in general is a good, is often a good policy. It's not always a good policy, but yeah, to echo what you said, I think it's, it's a good, it's a good choice. Um, And it's what the people who created the content security policy spec thought as well, I'm sure.
0: Makes sense. Um, Is this something that you used at Braintree or that you use at your current company?
1: Um, So uh, I, Braintree was not, super node heavy there they they had a few node apps while i was there um i probably shouldn't go into specifics right but um they weren't you know they're not a they're not a node shop for um for the most part although they have a little bit um i don't remember if they used helmet um their parent company paypal has a like competitor is the wrong word but an alternative to helmet um that is also good like i don't i'm not trying to I, I don't really care um, as long as your app is getting more secure. I'm not, I'm not too particular, but um, I think a lot of PayPal is on node um, and they're pretty publicly like behind node. Um, and they have something called Luska, which um, does a lot of what helmet does. Um, you know, for the most part, they're identical, frankly. Um, if you're like me and you spend a lot, a lot of time thinking about this stuff, um, there are subtle differences, but um, I think, if you're getting some of these quick wins from HTTP headers, um, that's kind of that's kind of the the thing you want. Um, at Airtable, um, I know this was a, a nice thing um, that made me feel good in the interview. Um, when I interviewed here, they um, they told me that they already had some of my code in production, and I thought that's scary. I don't know what that means, um, <laughs> but they're using um, they're using one of Helmet's twelve components. Um, as far as I know, um, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was nice to, uh, nice to know. Um, so Airtable at least uses a little bit of helmet, although not all of it. Um, maybe while I'm here, I'll, uh, get everybody to get everything to use it.
0: Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, a lot of this stuff, unfortunately, is reactionary, right? Oh, we had a problem with this, so... You know, we got DDoSed by this thing and it turns out we can turn it off or, you know, cross-site scripting, you know, oh, we got burned and one of our customers left. So we're going to fix it. And yeah, just uh, taking that approach and being a little bit more proactive with it makes a lot
1: of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and a nice thing about, like, again, I want to stress, like, your app is not secure if you use Helmet, but um, there are certain things that are just, like, trivial to to add to your app um, that, that lower the attack service area quite a bit, um, yeah. and I think helmet is is the is I think it's the best way to do it for an express app, but it's certainly one of the ways to do it in an express app um, uh, and um, also if you're if you're listening to this and you don't use express, um, there are other versions of this um, for yeah. rails and for Django and for lots of other things and on the helmet documentation page, I have a list of those um, if you're interested.
0: Very cool. So is Helmet like fully tested and things like that? Or is that something you're working on these days?
1: Yeah. So I think um, as far as I know, Helmet's fully tested. The testing is pretty easy. Some of the testing is a little bit um, like it. I don't spin up an actual browser to try to do some of these things to to verify that the browser behaves correctly when it receives the HTTP header. Um, That's something I've certainly considered doing, but is a monumental effort for, uh something that I do in my spare time, um and I've never run into a problem that would have been caught by that. That doesn't mean that it won't ever happen um but um I have yet to um, I've yet to receive an issue or any kind of report that that's needed um especially given that that I refer to some existing libraries implementations for um you know like oh is this the right value for this header? Is this documentation thing that I'm reading on the internet correct like what is the what is the version that is in Rails? What do they do? And things like that. So that is something I certainly have thought about. And, and like if I had infinite time, might do. But mm-hmm. I've been very happy with the test coverage that I have, which is basically like um, spin up a fake server and make a fake request to it with a fake browser and then make sure that the HTTP header response is right. correct.
0: That makes sense. So are there any things you're looking to add to Helmet?
1: Um, Helmet's been pretty stable. Um, there are a few things that I'm probably going to do in version 4.0. Um, one of them is that the content security policy middleware does a lot of browser sniffing. So, it, so certain browsers have different support for content security policy. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes things that were called this are now called this. Um, and to make sure that stuff is as covered as possible, Helmet does. Um, browser sniffing and make sure that like oh if you're on this old version of Firefox we should rename this parameter to this parameter or something like that. Okay. Um, which is one of the things that makes content security policy difficult to implement for people. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and Helmet is just does all that for you. Um, one of the things that I've been toying with is um, right now that browser sniffing is uh, is on by default. You can turn it off. Um, I think in Helmet version four, um, which will come out probably not soon because um, the helmet's been pretty stable, but um, I'm going to turn that um, that thing from on by default to off by default. And then in helmet five, um, I would turn it off completely unless I received some um, some issues with that. Um, that's way down the road, um, but helmet's been pretty stable. And there's nothing bigger than that, that I'm really wishing to add. Um, you know, dropping support for old node versions is, is another one. Um, but, you know, none none of that is major. It's basically removing it from my test, and mm-hmm. now I stop testing on old versions of Node. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm thinking of removing. But Helmet's been pretty stable. Um, the other thing is these new HTTP security headers come through every so often. It's probably one a year ish, mm-hmm. and kind of making sure I'm up to date with those. And and when anyone comes out adding it to Helmet to to keep the um, the surface area of attacks as low as I possibly can, while keeping in the scope of the project.
0: Sounds good. Um, are you accepting contributors to Helmet? So if somebody wants to throw some pull request your way, or help with docs, or things like that.
1: Yeah. Um, so Helmet has a list of contributors um, that I think I wrote the number down somewhere. The thirty-eight people have contributed so far. That's me, uh, Adam Baldwin, uh, the creator, and then 36 other people. Um, mm-hmm. And perhaps there are other people that I'm forgetting in that list. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, there's a contributors list on on Helmet's docs. Um, and I'd love to, to see your name there if you wanna contribute. Um, it's uh, There are a few open issues and there are a few um, sort of things that um, could be improved. Um and if you're interested in, in getting started with something but you don't know where to start, um feel free to reach out to me. Um I'm I'm Evan Hahn on everything, EvanHahn.com. Me at EvanHahn.com is my email. Evan Hahn on Twitter, that sort of thing. Um and we can try to find something cool for you to to work on um if you're interested in contributing. But um but helmet has been relatively stable and I'm not, you know, I'm not re- rewriting anything. Nothing is a, nothing that I know of has this glaring um, has any glaring problems or, or big warts right now because it's a relatively small module. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you offer advice on any other aspects of security? I mean, one thing that I'm thinking of is just a lot of times the security for your application comes down to the passwords your admins use or the way that people behave and whether or not somebody can you know call them up and get them to give up some kind of compromising information. Um, mm-hmm. do you offer any any other advice on security, or are you mostly focused on what Helmet does?
1: I mean, I think that's that's uh, like I'm not a security professional. I have no, I, I've never been paid to do security work or anything like that specifically. Though you know, thinking about security, I think is, is a part of being a developer in in many cases. Um, so I've you know I've certainly thought about it. Um, one of the things that I've sort of thought about with it is that, uh, and this is like totally unprofessional advice, so. I may be totally wrong. Um, but like the simpler a system, the less there is in it, um, the less likely it is to get attacked. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean like in a person's house, if you have a hundred Internet of Things devices, or you like each one of those increases your attack surface area, you know, if you're just like a person right. in a house. Um, not to say like you you mustn't ever add anything to your life, um and or to your applications, but um I found that like the less there is kind of in sort of in the whitelist blacklist discussion that we were having before, like the less that you allow, the less that you have, the fewer servers that you have, the fewer different apps that you have, um, you know, the fewer different libraries that you use, um, the, the fewer lines of code you have, um, you know, vaguely, the better, uh, the better off you'll be from a security perspective. That's a vibe I get. But um, again, unprofessional advice, certainly
0: yeah i think that's generally true i mean the more uh, i find that it's more complexity over necessarily more lines of code or anything else Mm -hmm. and it's really just because it's harder to keep track of everything that's going to move through and how it's going to come in and go out Mm -hmm. but yeah i think i think you're correct on that um so yeah i I definitely am with you on that idea um one last question before we head into pics unless there's something else that you want to cover and that is, how do people find you on the internet? I'm usually looking for like Twitter, blog, mm-hmm. GitHub, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm Evan Hahn everywhere. That's E-V-A-N-H-A-H-N. And uh, so I'm Evan Hahn on Twitter, Evan Hahn on GitHub, EvanHahn.com, and my email and contact info are all in there. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me if I can be helpful at all. Or if you have spam, I can take that too. All right, cool. Well...
0: Uh, let's go ahead and head into some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid, on average, five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says, pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to GoFreshbooks.com slash dev chat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. You have some things you want to shout out about on the show?
1: Yeah, I wrote down uh, I wrote down three. So the first is the closure programming language. That's something I used at Braintree previously, and it's something that I've liked a lot. I think it's really, really thoughtfully designed as a, as a language. And I, I really appreciate that. A lot of its stuff, a lot of its philosophy is not totally unique to Clojure, but a lot of its philosophy influenced a lot of modern JavaScript stuff. Um, I think my sense is that the biggest thing happening in JavaScript right now is React. And a big part of React um, and and Redux and, and the family is uh, this idea of functional programming um, and how it makes your code simpler and and less complex, kind of like we were talking about. And closure strives to be that way. You know, it's like anything; it's not it's not perfect, and um, it certainly has some oddities that I've noticed. But I find it a, a pleasure to work with, and I think working in closure has made me better at JavaScript. Yeah, and and the creator of of closure, Rich Hickey, has a lot of talks that I think are have have made me a better programmer as well probably my favorite one is simple made easy, but the value of values is another really good talk that he gave that I, that made my little brain swirl around a lot. Um, yep. So that's, uh, that's the first one. And then the second one um, is this thing I've just found recently and I'm interested in working with it, but I don't really know anything about it. It's, um, it's called fortune um, and it's a JavaScript library that uh, is a database abstraction. So hmm. you basically say like, Oh, like I have, posts and posts have authors and um you know posts are posted with at this time and this date and whatever. And um you kind of describe the schema of your data. Um and then you say, I want this to live in the browser in memory or I want this to live in the browser in indexed DB or I want this to live in a MySQL database mm-hmm. um, or whatever. And I think that's that's kind of interesting. And it seems like one of the problems that I experience when working on um some applications is like you write a front end and a back end, and like a lot of the data is identical and you just kind of want it to like work in the same structure. Um, but yet it doesn't either because they're in different languages or, um, because, you know, the paradigms of working with Postgres are very different than the paradigms of working with, you know, an in-memory array. Um, and, uh, Fortune looks like it makes an abstraction layer on top of that, that, um, would allow for a lot of shared code and I've not used it. So I don't know if it's any good, but uh, it looks really cool. And then the third is uh, the third and final is uh, this TV show that is not at all about programming called Kantaro the sweet tooth salary man. And it's this very stern guy who works at this desk job and he doesn't talk to anybody and he is very serious and he's really, really good at his job, but no one knows anything about him and he's very mysterious. Um, the reason nobody knows anything about him is because he's also secretly obsessed with sweets, and so he runs around <laughs> doing his sales visits. But then, in between his sales visits, he eats, you know, delicious food, um, and talks about it. And it's really weird, um, but very good. Um, so yeah, those are my those are my three.
0: Good deal. I'm gonna throw out a couple of picks. So the first pick I have is, so I'm at ng-conf right now. I think I mentioned that at the start of the show. And I'm doing interviews with the speakers is what I've, I've, I'm here for. I know the organizers of the conference. I got Kendo UI to sponsor the interviews. And so, yeah, so I'm doing interviews. Anyway, so as, as part of the deal, you know, I'm doing video and I'm putting them up on YouTube. And I bought a camera when I went to NG Atlanta to do this. And it turned out to have pretty awful built-in microphone and it didn't have any kind of audio input so that I could, you know, run a cord and, you know, kind of over override the audio. And so um, I got online and I found another camera that uh, does have that. And it was actually cheaper than the first camera. Um, it, It also came with a wide angle lens, which is basically like a zoom in zoom lens. And so I just, uh, I kind of screwed that onto the front, hooked it all up. Um, I can plug it into the wall if if I want, but I don't have a a mini USB. I have a whole bunch of micro USBs, but no mini USBs because nobody uses them anymore. And, um, anyway, so I just have it set up. The camera is an Orpro camera. I got it off of Amazon. I'll put a link up in the show notes. And, um, anyway, it's, it's been great. And then I have my Zoom H6 and my Shure SM58 microphones that, you know, we record on. Um, I got a couple of 25-foot cords, uh, XLR cords for the microphones. Though, I think I could have gotten away with six-foot cords. But anyway, it's been nice to just set it up, get in, record the stuff, and get it done. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to some more interviews Um, If you go to devchat.tv slash YouTube, you can check that out. And then um, you also mentioned React. Uh, We have a podcast now for React called React Roundup. And, uh, you know, we've been interviewing a whole bunch of people in the React community. So um, if you're into React, check that out. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got here. So we'll go ahead and wrap this up. But uh, thank you for coming, Evan.
1: Yeah, Thanks thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. We'll catch everyone next week. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out. In fact, let me just go ahead and tell you who we have scheduled for next week. Sometimes this does change, but usually it's pretty consistent. We're talking to, uh, oh man, it's a hard name. Dotan Nahum. And we're talking about uh, Hygen. So I'm going to have to do some homework because I don't know what that is. And then the week after that, we're talking to Kyle Simpson about uh, functional light JavaScript. So if you're into those topics, then definitely check those out. All right. Well, thank you again, Evan.
1: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more.